The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to entitle my message today, God Loved and Saved the World. And we want to read from John chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now I'm sure this is the most familiar verse in the Bible, at least in our country. Unfortunately, it's also probably the most misunderstood or misinterpreted verse in the Bible. And there are two things about this verse that people misunderstand. And I want to try to look at those two things today. Now, most people look at this verse and here's how they interpret it. They believe that God loves everyone and that Jesus came and died on the cross for their sins and anyone who will believe on Christ, anyone that will confess their sins and ask for forgiveness will then be saved and go to heaven. That sounds good. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Just think about that in comparison to any other subject you would consider. Maybe you were studying a particular philosophy at school. That sounds very reasonable. And that seems to be what the verse is saying. But in order for us to interpret it correctly, we're going to need to, first of all, understand the meaning of the word world. Now, this is the part where I recommend that you try not to turn to all the verses, but it might be a better idea just to uh, write down the reference, and you can uh, look at it later. The word world is used about 250 times in the Bible. It is used 80 times in the Gospel of John. I didn't realize that until I actually did a word search. Now, in the particular copy of the Bible that I have, the Old and New Testament together is printed on almost 1,400 pages. And the Gospel of John takes up 33 of those pages. Now, here's the point I want you to consider. The Gospel of John takes up about 33 pages of 1,400 pages of Scripture, and yet the word uh, world is used in the Gospel of John 
one-third of the times it's used in the whole Bible. 30, uh, rather, it's used 80 times in the Gospel of John, and in the whole Bible, including the Gospel of John, it's only used uh, about 250 times. So this word world is a, a very important word just in the Gospel of John. And as I study this word world, the first thing I conclude is that it must have more than one meaning. Other words, the gospel of John alone will not make sense. So I want you to consider the ways in which this uh, word is used in the gospel of John. First of all, it can be used to simply refer to the earth, the planet in which we live, or the planet on which we dwell, this physical earth. And here are some examples. In John chapter 17 and verse 24, Jesus in prayer to the Father said, Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. That's talking about the earth, isn't it? Before the foundation of the world. In John chapter 1 and verse 10, it refers to Jesus and said, says among two other things about the world, that the world was made by him. And you know in the book of Colossians, it says, uh, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In John chapter 9, verse 32, it says, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? So we have so far a scripture that refers to before the foundation of the world. We have one that refers to the fact that the world was made by Christ. And then here in John chapter 9 verse 32 uh, in reference to uh, a man's eyes being opened it says since the world began we've never heard of this. So all of those three are obviously talking about this physical world. In John chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus says, I am come into the world and I leave the world. Chapter 12, verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You know, we often say this world is not my home. We have another home, which the Bible sometimes refers to as that world to come. Heaven's a place, a real physical place. John chapter 21, verse 25, is referring to all, that's the last verse, by the way, of 
the Gospel of John. And it refers to all the acts of Jesus. And it says if all of his acts were recorded in books, that uh, the world itself could not contain the books. That's obvious that it's talking about this physical world. And in John chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus speaks of departing out of this world. Now, we'll go ahead and tell you that the world of John 3.16 is not the world we've been discussing so far. Obviously, uh, it would be nonsense to say that God so loved this physical world that whosoever believes them should not perish but have everlasting life. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That makes no sense. And I'm just trying to establish in your mind that the word world has different meanings because we have been programmed, even those of us that have been raised among the primitive Baptists have heard it repeatedly that John 3.16 refers to everyone in the world. So I'm just trying to open your minds up to the fact that the word world has different meanings. Another way the word world is used is in reference to uh, this kingdom of the world that's at odds with the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus referred to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, well, this world also has a kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And here's the world I'm talking about now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God, but is of the world. Now that's not talking about the physical planet, is it? That wouldn't make sense. Just think about this physical earth on which we live and then quote that verse. Love not the earth, neither the things that are in the earth. That, and then he describes the things in the earth. That's not referring to the physical world. That's referring to this kingdom in this world. This kingdom over which uh, Satan reigns as he's described as the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. In the same way that the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom in terms of its operation and the movement of the Spirit among the Lord's people. In like manner, there is a spirit of the world that's moving and in operation and everything about it opposes the kingdom of God. And we sometimes are under the influence of this world. Whenever you're given to the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, you are living under the influence of this world kingdom. 
John chapter 12, verse 31 says, Jesus says, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That's speaking of an invisible world, isn't it? In John chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus says to those wicked Pharisees, he says, you are of this world. I'm not of this world. John chapter 16, verse 33. Now this could be referring to the physical world or the kingdom of this world. It says, in the world you shall have tribulation. Now as long as we're in this physical body on this planet, we're going to have tribulation in the sense of disease, aren't we? But also, when it comes to this sin-cursed world system and those that, would those that would persecute Christians, it's also in that world that we'll have tribulation. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, Jesus speaks of how our faith overcomes the world. So here's two different applications. The physical world in which we live and the kingdom of this world, the, the sinful world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The one where the prince of the power of the air is influencing. And then there's one other application in the Gospel of John. And that has to do with actual people. Now this could be broke down in two ways. And it is broke down in two ways. And this is what will be very important to our understanding of the world of John 3.16. Sometimes the word world refers to the inhabitants of the earth in a general way. Sometimes it, but then under that heading, sometimes it refers to God's people. And sometimes it refers to the wicked, unregenerate men of this world. Now let's consider that. In John chapter 7, verse 4, here's some verses regarding the inhabitants in general. They say to Jesus, show thyself to the world. That's not referring to the physical earth. That's not referring to this spiritual worldly kingdom. That's speaking to the people in general. Show thyself to the world. In John 18, 20, it says Jesus spake openly to the world. In chapter 12, verse 19, it says, The world is gone after him. See, those are just some general statements about the inhabitants. In John chapter 17, verse 6, notice this. Jesus refers to the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Now, this leads into what we really want to emphasize to show you the word world, when applied to inhabitants, does not always mean everyone. Right. Now here, 
He refers to the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Now, in this verse, the world does mean all the inhabitants, but the thought is introduced here about some men which God gave to Christ out of the world. In other words, this doesn't embrace everyone in the world. So now notice uh, some of the uh, plain teaching in the scripture regarding those that were taken out of the world. And while that may refer in John 17 to some of his apostles or followers in particular, yet I want you to notice this principle. John chapter 4, verse 42, says Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, I want you to think about this as if it were everyone, and then we're going to show you how that wouldn't work. Jesus is the Savior of the world. John chapter 12, verse 47, Jesus said, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Now consider at this point, if the world here means everyone, then there can't be a hell. John chapter 1 verse 29, uh, John, I believe it's John, points out and says, The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. If, If that world means everyone, then they are saved. Their sins have been taken away and everyone for certain goes to heaven. Because that's what the Lamb of God did. He taketh away the sin of the world. John chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. In John chapter, or rather, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, Listen to this now. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now somebody may say, Brother Buddy, what are you going to do with that? How, how do you fit the doctrine of election in these verses? Jesus is the Savior of the world. He came to save the world. He's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He giveth life unto the world. And he is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Well, look first of all at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. Now keep this thought in mind. Both of these passages are in 1 John, and the one in chapter 2, verse 2, says that Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Well, listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. 
There's no way the expression whole world means everybody because John says we know that we are of God. We are of God, but the whole world lieth in wickedness. That, that proves clearly that the, word, the expression whole world doesn't include everyone. But furthermore, notice what would appear to be a contradiction. Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. But the whole world, life, and wickedness. See, if you, if you try to say the word world, even if you say that the word world only as it applies to people, if you say that it always means everyone, then the Bible's going to appear to have contradictions. And here's one great advantage you have as a primitive Baptist with regard to the doctrine of election. It will help you tremendously understand the usage of the word world in many places. Because you'll see that those verses that may seem to contradict don't contradict at all. You know, we use the word world in a limited way all the time. We talk about the sports world. See, the word world means everyone in a particular category. Not everyone without exception, but everyone that holds something in common. Now, not only does it say there in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the whole world lieth in wickedness, notice also in um, John chapter 14, verse 17. Jesus speaks of the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Okay, if the word world means everyone, then John 3.16, our original text, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, this text says the world does not have the ability to receive the spirit of truth. Now, if you don't have the ability to receive the spirit of truth, how are you going to believe the truth? That wouldn't make sense, would it? Listen to this, John chapter 17, verse 9. Jesus says, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. That clearly says, just like 1 John 5, 19, that clearly says that the world is not everyone because Jesus says, I don't pray for the world, but here's some people I, are, I am praying for. I'm praying for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And then in uh, John chapter 15 and verse 9, Jesus says, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So there's another one that shows that there's two different worlds when it comes to people. One more. 1 John chapter 4, verse 5. And you'll notice that every verse I've referenced is either in the Gospel of John or 1 John. 
1 John 4, 5, speaking of false prophets, they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Now let me summarize with this. John 16 says, God loved the world. John 17, Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world. Sounds like there's a conflict between him and God, doesn't it? And then 1 John 2.15, having said in John 3.16 that God loved the world, God now tells you, do not love the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, to borrow an old expression of Sonny Piles that I hadn't heard in a long time, he says, that'll make you as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. See how confusing the Bible can be if you say there's only one way the word world is used. All of this that I've referred to when it comes to the world referencing people can be straightened out by seeing that there are two kinds of people in this world. The Lord told... uh, uh, Rebecca, that two nations are in your womb and two manner of people. One of them was represented by Jacob, and he said, Jacob, have I loved? And one of those nations, one of those manner of people were represented by Esau, and he said, Esau, have I hated? And God said, the reason I pronounce this and the reason it's that way even before the children have been born the reason I'm telling you all this and the reason I purpose to love one twin and not love the other and pass him over is that the purpose of God according to election might stand in other words God is saying I want you to know that I elected a people and the way I'm illustrating that to you is to say here's these two twin boys they haven't been born they haven't done any good or evil and God says I love Jacob and hate Esau you may say that's hard that's offensive that's what the Bible says if you're upset about it you'll have to be upset with God not the the preacher that tells you about it the preacher's just the mailman don't shoot the mailman if he brings you a collection notice you know he's not the one responsible for it so let's now And you can actually turn to the scriptures at this point. God so loved the world. He loved his people. That's the first thing that needs to be understood. That the word world refers to God's people. Now, here's the other thing that people misunderstand. And that is they don't understand what the verse says. God so loved the world. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, let's stop there. God loved the world so much that he sacrificed. He gave his only begotten son, and we know that was Jesus. 
Okay, why did God give his only begotten son? Here's why. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If Jesus had not come, then the people that believeth in him or believeth in God would perish. Everybody in the Old Testament that never understood the gospel but believed in God, they would perish if belief or believeth meant that you have to make an active decision to believe. Let me give you one of the clearest examples. Look at Job chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's see what kind of man Job was. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, can we safely conclude that this man believed in God? But notice in Job chapter 9 and verse 2. Then Job answered and said, I know it is of a truth, but how should man be just with God? Job says, I know that man will be just with God. I know things are going to be right between man and God, but I have no idea how that can come to be. There's no way Job believed the gospel. There's no way that Job believed in Jesus Christ, in the, in, as far as a, a full intellectual understanding, he just knew that I'm going to be made right with God. I have no idea how it's going to happen. Did Job believe in God? Yes, he did. He believed in God thousands of years before Jesus was born into the world. But see, because he believed in God, and that expression in the King James, believeth, emphasizes a present condition of believing and Job thousands of years before Jesus came was in a present state of believing and so when Jesus came he secured his salvation for him and Job did not perish you say wait a minute brother buddy what was Job's condition between the time he physically died and Jesus came into the world. You may say, I understand that Job believed in God. And thousands of years later, Jesus saved him. But how could he live in heaven from the time he died until Jesus came into the world? Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. And this will make you glad that you understand and believe the doctrines of grace. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness, listen now, to declare the righteousness of Christ for the remission, that means for the passing over of sins that are past 
through the forbearance of God. You know what that's saying? That's saying when Job died, although Jesus had not yet died on the cross, when Jesus did die on the cross, it was for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. In other words, because of the everlasting covenant ordered in all things in short, Jesus Christ was verily ordained. And when he died on the cross, the benefits of that blood went in both directions. And so even those saints of God that lived so many years before Jesus came, they went to heaven when they died because they were born of God's Spirit. Otherwise, the Bible says uh, you, you can't believe in God unless you're born of the Spirit. And we'll show you that in a minute. But but the point is, the offering of Christ was for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. In other words, God knew that Jesus would come and save Job from his sins. Now, if Jesus was coming to offer life to Job, that wouldn't work, would it? Because Job said, I know man's going to be just with God, but how in the world that's going to be? I don't know. And Job died not knowing how man would be just with God. He just knew that he would. <laughs> and aren't you glad it's that way that if you live way back then, even though you didn't know the truth, God could bless you with that peace that I don't know how this is going to happen, but thank you, God. I'm going to be just with you. God didn't punish his people in the Old Testament uh, because they didn't have gospel light. He blessed his obedient children back then with the same comfort that you have today. You just have more insight and you ought to be more thankful than even they were. You know, in the Old Testament, it says that Enoch walked with God. Never heard the gospel. It says that Noah walked with God. He never heard the gospel. And David said in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 5, Although my house be not so with God, my life is out of order. I've committed adultery. I've had the woman's man killed. My house is, the consequences of my sin have fallen upon my house. My son has died. But even then, David said, he'll not come to me, but I'll go to him. He had some understanding, didn't he? But he said, though my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. You see, David didn't have the light of understanding you have about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But David said, he's made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. And when Jesus did die on the cross, that was for the remission of Job's sin, the remission of David's sins, the remission of Enoch's sins the remission of Noah's sins, men that could not fit the pattern that so often uh, advocated today that you must make a willful decision to believe in Christ to go to heaven. But you know what? They believed in God, didn't they? And I'm going to show you a verse in a minute that believing in God is the same thing as believing in Jesus. They were secure because 
Jesus saved his people from their sins. And the benefits of what he did on the cross went thousands of years backward, and it's gone so, so far. It's went about 2,000 years forward, and it's got you. The blood of Christ was applied to you when you were born again. You know, that's what the new birth is. It's when you vitally receive the benefits of what Christ did. That life that he obtained for you is imparted to you when you're born again, and it will never die. Now, lastly, let's look at the verses in John that use the word believeth. Because remember, most people think that John 3.16 is saying that God loves everyone. We've already established that the word world doesn't mean everyone. But they believe God loves everyone so much that he sent Jesus and whoever will choose to believe in him will be saved. Yet the verse is actually saying that when Jesus came into the world, he saved people that believeth. Job believeth. Noah believeth. David believeth. Enoch believeth. And here's a good homework lesson for you. Take the Gospel of John and look up the word believeth and compare it to the word believe. I'm not saying every time, but for the most part, the word believe is used when someone's called upon to believe or when someone's belief is questioned. Whereas the word believeth means this person is absolutely in a present state of believing. And 1 John 5, 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You find someone that believeth, and you found someone that's born of God. So in John 3, 16, anyone that believeth is born of God, and Jesus came so that those born-again believers would not perish. I don't care if you were chosen in Christ, if you're born of the Spirit, if you weren't redeemed by Christ, you're without hope. Paul said without the resurrection of Christ, which was the, the full completion of his work, he says we're yet in our sins, our preaching is vain, your faith is vain, and we're of all men most miserable. Now he was tell, telling that to people that were the elect and that were born again. And see John 3.16 is talking to people that believeth, therefore it's talking to people that are born again, it's talking to people that were chosen in Christ. But God sent Christ to save them. Otherwise, they would perish. No one is fit for heaven apart from Jesus Christ. When the Bible teaches of us being justified by his blood, here's what that means. Right now, I don't care how much sin you do today. Right now, you stand positionally right with God. Isn't that wonderful? 
No matter how much I mess up, my, my position before God is that I'm right with God in Christ. No matter how I live. And that doesn't make you say, well, I don't care how I live. That makes you say, I want to live right. If I'm going to heaven in spite of how I behave, I want to try to behave in a way that honors God. If you go to the bank and pay off my debt, I'm not going to say, well, I don't care how I treat you. Isn't that ridiculous? So many times people will say they, they'll take a position in the spiritual realm that they never would take out here in the world. People say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as, as, long as you're sincere. They would never apply that in real life. Uh, unfortunately, some people are so messed up today, they are, they're and if you think 2 plus 2 is 5, that's okay as long as you're sincere about it. But it doesn't work, does it? It does matter what you believe. Furthermore, does God, do you want somebody to misrepresent you? God doesn't want to be misrepresented. He wants to be represented for who he is. Now, look at John 5, 24. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. All right, now let's compare that to John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, Jesus said two chapters over from where I just quoted that the one that believeth already has everlasting life and he has passed from spiritual death, a state where you can't respond to Jesus. He's already passed from Death unto life. So again, you find a person who believeth. You found someone that's born again. You found someone that Jesus came to save, and he saved them. And if he didn't, they would perish. Look at John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Whoever liveth, and notice living comes before believing. It's like that verse where it says, in him we live and move and have our being. It does not say we have our being so we move and then live. It says in him we live and guess what? When you're alive, you move. That's difficult, isn't it? No, somebody says, well, I thought you moved to get alive. They would put you in the mental hospital if you went out here saying that if this animal, will, this dead animal on the road, if he'll start moving, he'll start living. But they'll say that in the spiritual realm. No, in him we live and move and have our being. Look at... Chapter 3 of John and chapter 36. 
John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Any English teacher would tell you if you find someone that believes, you found someone that's already in possession of life. That is not saying that if you will believe, you'll get everlasting life. That's not what it says. Some people say, Brother Buddy, that's, not your, that's your interpretation. No, it's, it's not a matter of interpretation. Now, we get over to Revelation and some of the parts of Daniel and Ezekiel. Yeah, you might be hearing some of my interpretation, but this is a matter of what the English says. He that believeth on the Son hath ever life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Now watch this. The one that believeth not the Son, he says, the wrath of God abideth on him. It doesn't say the wrath of God's going to be poured out on him. It says you find one that doesn't believe, that is, he, he is dead in sins, you found one that the wrath of God already abides on. And then lastly, now you're going to have a lot of verses to look up to see if I was getting this right because I was just por quoting portions of verses. And if you can show me where I, did, where I got something wrong, that'll be great because that'll show me you really searched it out. John chapter 12 and verse 44. Jesus cried and said, now watch this. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Now let's go back to Job. Job didn't believe on Christ per se. But Jesus said, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Well, the one that sent Jesus was God, and Job believed in God, and Jesus says here, believing in me is not really believing in me, it's believing on God. So Job believed on God, that's the same as believing on Christ, and Job was a born-again child of God that just didn't have the light you have. That's why he said, I know it is of a truth, but how should man be just with God those men that were so well known in the Old Testament didn't know what you know Peter said many righteous men have desired to see the things that ye see and were not able just think how zealous they must have been they didn't know the gospel Man, they wanted to know it. Remember old, the old eunuch says, Lord, or says to Philip, Philip, who's this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or another man? Well, see, we read that today and we know who he's talking about. We know it's talking about Jesus who suffered for our sins. God loved and loves the world. God loves his people. Jesus saved his people from their sins. And if you believe in him, that means you're born again. 
And that means because that Jesus died 2,000 years ago, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.